Welcome to another episode of Unleashing the Future of Work. And today, first of all, I want to say no matter where you are and where you're viewing this episode from, I hope you are safe, well, and healthy. The world has been hit incredibly hard to due to what's going on with the coronavirus pandemic. And to everyone within the Unleashing the Future of Work community, please remain well, remain healthy, spend time with your loved ones, with your family, and appreciate this time we get to work from home, <laughs> right? Because the entire world is currently working from home right now. And most importantly, hold on to each other, right? This is a time for toge togetherness, love, and compassion. Now, with that said, I want to jump right in. Please feel free to shout out where you're listening and watching from. I know the Unleashing the Future of Work community always comes out strong. Shout out to Lemuel from Puerto Rico. I hope you're safe, Lemuel, in Puerto Rico. Please make sure you share this episode with someone in your network that needs it. But without further ado, today I have a really awesome guest today. And he's actually one of my favorite influencers, keynote speakers, thought leaders in the future of work space. Recognized as one of the top 100 emerging innovators under 35 by American Express, his ideas have been featured in Forbes, Thrive Global, The Huffington Post, The Globe, and more. From the stage of TEDx to BuildX to Coca-Cola and the Milking Global Conference, Eric inspires, challenges, and opens minds to opportunity and doors to growth. Eric Tremonde is a globally recognized keynote work and building teams that thrive. Eric has surveyed and interviewed thousands of leaders about what it takes to create teams that not only win, but they enjoy their time at work as well. And you know, today what I'm going to be actually talking with Eric about is what are these one degree shifts that people need to make in the workplace, whether it be organizations or people in their lives. And without further ado, I want to show love to Eric and bring him on. Eric, what's up, man? Man, I feel like I should be coming into the basketball court right now after an introduction <laughs> like that. Like, thank you. That was Dude, uh, that you. was incredible. So I'm I'm happy to be here. I I want to first of all echo your sentiments uh, yeah. for those around the world who are tuning in today. Um, stay safe, stay healthy. Um, mm. Appreciate those that you get to spend your time with, and um, really make the best out of what uh, is certainly an uncertain time. Yeah. No. Agree, Eric. And let's show love. Really. Hey from London, UK. Jason, what's up from New Jersey? I hope you are well. And Brittany, what's up from wherever you are at? So we have a global audience today watching us, Eric. You know, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your story, Eric. How did you get into the work that you do as an influencer and leader in the future mm -hmm. of work, man? I guess my story starts uh, just under 10 years ago uh, when I was in the University of Calgary. I'm uh, I'm a Canadian and uh, I was doing everything that I thought I should do to be one of those white collar consultants. Um, I wanted to carry the briefcase. I wanted to wear that tie. I wanted to take the elevator up to my office and um, doing everything that I thought I could do. Uh, I ended up applying to what a lot of us do uh, to about 70 different jobs and realizing that I got no interviews and no opportunities to take that employment. And I, I found that the way that we were actually looking and attracting talent didn't work for me. Not sure it works for others, but I found that 
the 250 to 300 word job description wasn't the best way to do it. Uh, I found that the way that we're used, the words and the phrases that we're using to describe the experience at work didn't work for me. I mean, I was a vice president of my university of uh, student union. I had a $18 million budget for 25,000 students, ended up being a class ambassador, had the clubs experience, had the case study experience, and it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And so what my co-founder and I did at the time is we started a company to help enterprise ultimately attract that next generation of talent. We built a tool that quantified workplace culture. So we put numbers behind the employee experience from how many emails you get to how many on your immediate team to what uh, the hours of work were like to what sustainability, diversity, inclusion looked like so that companies who were competing for talent could ultimately tell a better story to attract a candidate or an employee that was a better fit for them. I'll give you an example. Uh, we might be looking for an accountant. You could work for KPMG, Deloitte, EY, Accenture. You could work for your sports team. You could work for the coffee shop. Mm. You could work anywhere. And what you do as an accountant, as a highly skilled, trained, professional, respectable accountant, is similar from place to place. But the life that you mm. might live is wildly different from place to place too. And so if an organization were able to understand these cultural components or the employee experience more effectively, then theoretically they could attract and keep better talent. So we worked in, in that space for a couple of years. I ended up writing my book, Rethink Work, shortly after. And uh, over the past five years, those are, whoops, maybe this side, those are uh, the speaking name tags. I've been on about 275 stages now all over the world wow. speaking about culture, talent attraction, retention, and ultimately the future of work, which many of us would probably argue today is the future of work that many of today? us probably <laughs> didn't expect. So welcome to the future of work. I'll be, I'll be your guide today. I think it's really important important for us to address the elephant in the room with what's happening with the COVID-19 epidemic and it's challenging organizations as well as people to rethink their values, rethink mm -hmm. what work means. Um, and I mean, in the U.S., I'm in the U.S., we're currently we're expecting to face a recession within these next few months. What are your thoughts on that, man? Look, there's two things that people hate when it comes to the future. Uh, the first is change, and the second is the way things are, right? So mm -hmm. we're kind of at a lose-lose. We can't change too, too quick, and we can't stand still. And what I think we're finding right now is very much the former. People or things are changing far faster than we could have possibly anticipated. Um, everyone's now working from home. We're looking at this remote, forcibly flexible environment that we hadn't seen before. And as a result, there's a lot of discomfort. There's a lot of transition that's happening uh, with this. So what I think we have to really double down on is this sense of, of community, is the ability to utilize the technology that we have access to. I know I'm talking to a lot of my friends, to my girlfriend now, who's on an all-hands Zoom call or whatever that might be to have that face-to-face -face opportunity to connect with their team. And it's not just about getting the work done. It's about letting everyone know that they're there for each other at the same time too. Um, change is slow until it's not. And I think that that's really been exemplified uh, through an, a, a time like this. And as a result, if we can still trust our people to do the best they can be, they, do the best they can do um, to build this sense of, of, of belonging and, and community by ultimately ensuring that we show each other support, we do the little things, we check in, we let people know that we're there for them, uh, then I think we can get this get through this thing together. Yeah, no, I, and I absolutely love that. I think right now is more than ever we start thinking about community first, right? And, you know, I would love your thoughts because there's a lot of different organizations right now who are encouraging their uh, employees to work from home. Apple, mm -hmm. Google, Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm 
everyone is saying like, this is the time, right? And it's, it's this, this black swan um, has been like this triggering function to have mm -hmm. everyone think about community first and really go back to the values of why your organization exists. Is there any organization you've been really interested in what they've been doing? Well, like I said, you know, Friday was an entirely different landscape than mm. we saw today. You know, there are yeah. organizations who are taking care of their hourly workers. There are organizations who aren't taking care of their hourly workers. There are organizations who are sending people home, which I think are doing a responsible thing. Um, there are those who are self-isolating, which I think are doing the responsible thing. Mm. And then there are those who are being selfish and are out in the bars and the clubs and, and the restaurants without really any consideration of others. And I think that, you know, when we're really looking to flatten the curve <laughs> when we're really looking to get this thing over with as soon as possible so we can get to a normal again or perhaps a new normal that um you know it's 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 a selfless mindset that we need to take um and it's ensuring that we're checking in with those who need to be checked in the most with the most that i think will get us through this the fastest i mean you can see behind me um Oh, sorry. This way, I've even got uh, with with my girlfriend Jill. We've got a games board that we've set up. So over the next two weeks, wow. we will be uh, we'll be we'll be keeping a general scorekeeping a, a, a tally of, of who's doing well <laughs> in what games, and uh, you know, it gives us gives us something longer term to do. And it also yeah. we've um, you know we've set ourselves up with a ten day sort of like cooking challenge. So uh, a few days ago, we went through five different cookbooks, all of which my laptop is sitting on right now, and yeah. mapped out the things that we'll be able to do and the things that we'll be able to cook over the next 10 or, or 14 days together mm. um, to you know change things up a bit, uh, make mm. little one degree shifts and uh, get through this together. Mm. I love that, man. Making self-isolation fun. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit more because you are, you know, what I love about you is how active and in the thick of things you are with building community around the future of work. Mm. And I want to ask you, what are three trends you see shaping this future aside from, you know, this triggering function that COVID has been? What are three trends that are shaping the future of work today? Uh, the, the first thing that I would see is, is customization. Um, mm. and, and, you know, we used to think that the open office concept was, was the best or the worst, depending on which mm. company, uh, you came, you came from or, or how you liked to, to get your work done. I think it's somewhere in the middle. I think it's the best and the worst, depending on what type of work you're doing, when you're doing it, who you're doing it with. Um, mm. so we'll see now offices with the phone booth, with the open, like with the, with the lunch table sort of desk, you'll have, you'll see sort of like cubicles or, or work desks and areas where people can get their work done, but you also see remote and flexible opportunities as well, where if people need to go pick up their kids, go to the dentist, go to the doctor, they can do that as well. Um, <clears throat> in some cases, I think we'll also see um, results-based work become mm. more effective than uh, time-based. Um, now, the other thing that I want to address though when we're talking about this is that we often get stuck in our like white-collar bubble of work too. We often yeah. forget you know, construction, manufacturing, people on the, on the line, people uh, that are doctors, nurses. We, 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 we tend to, in these future work conversations, forget 80% of the population because we like to think that we're all white-collar. And so yeah. you know, what I've heard before, and I, I would love to attribute this to the individual, but I can't remember who it was. So it's not my line, but, but what I heard was that the future of work is already here. It's just not evenly distributed. And so by that, I mean, a lot of us have access to technology that others don't. A lot of us have the ability to work flexibly and remotely and others don't. Uh, a lot of us can work shift work and a lot of us can't. And so what I guess I want to say to summarize this piece is that 
the future of work doesn't look like one thing to anybody. You know, there, there's no universal, this is the future. Um, what we need to understand is what is the future that's best for us? What is the future that's best for our organization? And how can we go and get that? Um, you might be entering different stages of life too. I mean, you might be looking to settle down, looking to have kids and maybe a remote or flexible work environment is one that you're more interested in than perhaps one that uh, wasn't as flexible or wasn't as remote when you were younger. Mm. And I think if we can go seek out those opportunities, the future of work is whatever we create it to be. I think that's really important. The future of work is whatever we want it to be so long as we're in tune with who we are and what we want to get out of it. Um, the third thing is uh, I'll say that that I think community trust and belonging are going to take um, more center stage than ever before along with mm. sustainability and the triple bottom line. The truth is now that there, <clears throat> coronavirus aside, there were a million more jobs in the United States than there were people to fill them. And we hadn't seen unemployment this low since World War II. As a result, companies and leaders are forced to be better as individuals and companies than they've ever been before. And what do I mean by that? I mean, we have to be more in tune with our employees. We have to be better connected with them or they'll leave. The company has to be mission, vision, profit, or sorry, um, uh, help me out here. Um, mission, vision, profit, and sustainability? Yeah, I was going to say like sustainable purpose is the word that I'm looking for. They have to be purpose purpose driven, mm. um, it's so that there is that differentiator, right? I mean, you're going to have a lot of people. Let's just look at a financial analyst, for example, who could work at one place, or she could work at the next place if the leadership treats them better, or if the company has a stronger purpose. Why wouldn't yeah. she go if she could get a signing bonus there and ultimately connect better with her people? So, yeah, uh, I guess to summarize is is customized or it's individualized. The future of work doesn't look like one thing it looks like whatever we want it to look like and ultimately companies will have to be more triple bottom line driven as a differentiator but also better as leaders and individuals to keep their people longer and you know it's the, it's the rise of the purpose-driven workplace right you know and i love what you said about customization understand the future of work isn't one size fits all and actually that's something that you really helped me realize in some of our past conversations is the fact that there's going to be this diversity right and every organization mm -hmm. is going to thrive if they are able to define it for what for themselves based on values, as well as what their yep. people want to mold it and have it look like. You know, so I want to show love to our amazing community, man, because they are loving everything that you're saying, Eric. Man. Awesome. So some, some, some of the people who are watching from Facebook right now are saying, I really like this, Eric, and it's glad to see both of us talking. I think they're in love with us, man. Uh, Jason <laughs> is saying, awesome story, Eric. Love that you're quantifying or culture and issues in your story and how you got into the work that you're doing. It's incredibly interesting. Feedy is saying, you know, these are some great questions. Open close spaces. They should be built about understanding the way people process information, introverts, extroverts, long-term planners versus action planners, dynamic workplaces that adapt to people so they can be empowered. So I think he really, really loved what you were talking about, a customized workplace. Brittany you know is saying, what's up? You got some you know, I just want to I just, I just add I just want to add one thing too. One thing yeah. that really came out in the work that we did is that a, a lot of us think that a company has a culture. Let's just use mm. uh, let's just use Amazon. Okay. Um, now, depending on who you look, where you look, and who you talk to, Amazon either either has the best culture or the worst culture. Very rarely is there something in between. And what I think I want us to realize is that Amazon, the way that I see it, Amazon doesn't have a culture. 
Mm. Amazon's culture lives on each of the teams that the people are working in. Let me give you an example. Um, Amazon's distribution center, the people that work in Amazon's distribution centers will live a different life than those who are doing the last mile delivery. Those people who are doing mm. the last mile delivery will have a di- live a different life than those people who are in head office, right? They'll be looking mm. at living a more, let's just call it a white collar, traditional uh, nine to five. But even within the office, those who are in business development is different than IT, is different than HR, is different than accounting. And the way that I see it is that culture actually doesn't live at the organizational level. Culture lives at the team level. And depending on who your leader is, what his, her, their expectations are, what their behaviors, their their, their habits, or their best practices are, that's ultimately what I think we need to be looking for. I'll give you an example. The best place to work in America right now is, or at least in 2019, was Hilton Hotels. What? (laughs) The second best place. Yeah, the second best place to work was Salesforce. Okay. Now, the people that work at Hilton won't necessarily want to work at Salesforce, and the people that want to work at Salesforce won't necessarily want to work at Hilton. So, there's two things that come up for me there. Is number one, there is no best place to work. Tim, you might love to where work at guide and it might not be a great fit for me. It probably would, but in mm. this case it might not. And what we need to understand too is that the people that are working at Hilton, those who are making the beds live and work a different life than those who are working the front desk, those who are doing the valet work, those who are, who are the bellhops, those who are in operations, those who are working the call center, those who are doing all of these different roles within these hotels. Um, live a wildly different life. And to suggest that culture lives within Amazon or within Hilton or within Salesforce is a misunderstanding of what it is that we're signing up for. So for those who are Mm. looking to create a more intentional future for themselves, don't just look at the organization's culture because I don't think you're going to find what you're looking for. Look at the team that you're going to be working on within that organization and look at the leader's best practices, habits, behaviors. Talk to the people on the team to understand what life they're going to live as a result of, of the job and truly be more intentional about that future that you get to create for yourself as a result. And, you know, and I love this, man, because you're getting into this, the value of leadership, right? And also mm-hmm. that it, it, this is the truth. Culture lives at the team level. And I mean, it's great that a lot of organizations like Amazon, they uphold the values. But I think mm-hmm. seldom do these organizations think about what are we doing to empower our leaders who are on the front line with our people to reflect, mm-hmm. mirror, and uphold these values? And that's where the real work has to come in. That's right. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Companies, of course, all have these mission, vision, values that I think every leader, if they're attracted and recruited in the right way, mm. can aspire to fulfill. That said, if we value integrity, honor, respect, <laughs> freedom, mm. that can manifest in a whole bunch of different ways, depending on what team you're working on and what your belie- leader believes can, uh, they can, how they can get the most out of their people. I love it, man. So Marciano is saying, Marciano Marciano is saying, man, that the Really, Brittany's also saying yes, expectations. You know, and I would love to get y'all's thoughts unleashing the future of work community. What are some things that you all have noticed in terms of organization cultures at the places that you're currently working at or you are formerly working at, right? What are the things that leaders are doing to uphold culture, you know, within the teams, right? How is culture mirrored within these organizations that you work in or have formerly worked in? I would love to get your thoughts and shout you out. You know, so. You know, Eric, right now I'm currently working on a book called The Seven Habits of Dynamic Leadership. And I want to really get your thoughts on, on something, man, because I feel as if you've worked with organizations before in terms of seeing how their leadership 
leadership facilitates culture, done studies within these organizations. And what do you believe leaders need to do to succeed in today's workforce? I think there's uh, quite a few things. Uh, I wouldn't just take my, my one or two things that we can cover in five or 10 minutes, but uh, I think we need to get the most out of our people by understanding, hearing, and implementing what they have to say. So often we think that leadership drives the team. And I think that that's mm. true from perhaps a, st- a strategic sense, uh, perhaps from uh, knowledge of the organization, perhaps knowledge of the position sense. But I often think that we forget that some of the lowest hanging fruit is the opinions, the experiences, and the observations of the people that are on our teams too. And mm, break that down for this, me, man. What does when we mean? look at the world that we're when we look at the world that we're living in today, we might have someone on the front line who experiences something with a customer directly that mm. the leader wouldn't have had access to because they're too busy managing and leading the team. Now, if that person on the front line sees that uh, instance, let's just say uh, working at a, a grocery store, and I've got the manager of the team of people, we might be leading that grocery store into a, a better 2021 than ever before, especially because all of our shelves have been cleaned out in the last week. Yeah. But what happened is one of my cashiers noticed something with a customer who said, hey, actually, we can make this more efficient by changing this one thing around because we've heard the, the last five out of 10 customers said that you know it might be a better opportunity. If the leader takes the time, maybe it's 15 minutes a week, maybe it's a five minute stand up before the shift every morning to hear the opinions, the concerns and the observations of our team and implement those as fast as possible, then what I believe is the future of work is not something that just happens to us. It's something that we create. And if we can leverage the opinions, the observations and the examples of the people that are working on our team, then I think we can get there faster and I think we can be more intentional about it. And Valentina is saying that is an example of effective communication too, right? Really looking yeah, for that critical what, feedback. That's leadership though, right? I mean, yeah. look, you can't have a strong leader who doesn't communicate with their team. And I think mm. in today's world, more so than ever before, when we're connected to these things more than we've ever been before, when we're checking our phones up to 250 times a day, when we're spending four hours a day on, on, on our phones, it's that face-to-face conversation, that interaction that's missing. It's that context. It's that depth of conversation that's missing that doesn't take a lot of time. And look, I think mm. we get this misconception all the time where millennials want to climb the ladder as fast as possible, where they don't want to put the work in. The way that I see it is millennials just mm. like any generation before them and any generation after them. They want to have an opportunity to be heard. They want to feel Mm. like they matter. They want to feel psychologically safe. We want to be a part of the team. And look, if Tim, I tell you as an employee of yours, what my idea is, and you tell me that it's not going to work and you tell me why, not only do I feel heard, but I get a learning opportunity out of that too, Mm. where I can then apply that to whatever I'm doing next. See, look, this isn't about being entitled or narcissistic or climbing the ladder as fast as possible. This is about being appreciated. This is about being a part of the team. And this is about having our voices and our opinions heard. Man, Eric, bro, you are powerful. I feel as if you Agree. Yes, yes. Keep it coming. So, you know, I want us to move on to our next question. And please, y'all, if y'all have any questions for Eric, feel free to ask them. I'm going to shout you out and show you some love in the comments. So next thing, right? Let's talk about these one degree shifts, right? I think this is something that you've been really <laughs> adamant about in, uh, in, in a lot of the things that you posted. And, you know, let me let me go ahead and give some context to our community, right? You know, one degree shifts are, are things that Eric believe, believes organizations and leaders and people can do to actually push towards where that future work needs to be going for their organization specifically. And, you know, Eric, I want to ask you, 
you know, what are the one degree shifts that you believe companies are failing to make? It's that companies aren't making the one degree shifts that is the failure. And if mm. I were to tell you that there are specific prescribed one degree shifts that we need to make, then I think I would be a, a terrible advisor, coach, you know, mm. to, to assume that I know the variables or the friction points in your life is um, terribly irresponsible, I think, for, for me to suggest. And so let's just get into this real quick. The way that I see it is a one degree shift is like the smallest viable change that we can make over and over. And I think we need to. Because, hey, let me, let me ask you this. Um, have you ever uh, won a scratch and win lottery ticket before? Like $1, $2, $5, anything? Yeah, yeah, I have. Yeah. yeah, so like right before you were scratching that ticket, did you know that you were going to win? No, not at all, man. No, not at all. See, the thing is we like to think that we can plan the future five and 10 years down the road. We don't even know if we're going to win the scratch and win lottery ticket. We don't even yeah. know that if we go for dinner tonight, if the steak is going to come out hot or cold. You know, we like yeah. to think that we can plan the future, that we've got our vision boards, that we do our goal setting. and We think that we know it's going to happen mm. tomorrow. We don't even know what's going to happen in 10 minutes. We might have this internet connection be cut off and our chat is <laughs> The point True. is, if it is cut off, or mm. as the future starts to reveal itself and we make these one degree shifts, the smallest viable changes, these pivots, then I think we can be more in control of whatever it is that happens next. So let's get let's break this down. The way that I see it, and, and, and for those who are listening, I want you to consider these five questions, okay? Number one mm. is where's their friction right now? Where am I feeling mm. this resistance? Where am I feeling this pain? And uh, we'll go into an example next, but uh, let's just dive into this. Where's their friction? Number two, what am I supposed to be doing about it? Like, like that's the ultimate default that we would do, that we would go to. But the third is wh where is that going wrong? Right? Where mm. is that? Well, ultimately, that's the reason why the friction is here in the first place. But what I found is that until we ask that second why, we don't get to the root of the problem. So the fourth question mm. is, where is that really going wrong? And the fifth, finally, is what is the smallest viable change I can make? So I want you to write these down. Number one, where is their friction? Two, what am I supposed to do about it? Three, where is that going wrong? Four, where is mm. it really going wrong? And five, where is the smallest viable change I can make? Let's give you an example. I wanted to lose... 10 pounds last year. Okay. And it just mm. wasn't happening. It wasn't happening because I wasn't doing the right thing. So where was their friction? Well, it was literally in my pants. Okay. So <laughs> they're fitting a little tighter <laughs> than I wanted them to. So where's their friction? Um, mm. I, I, I want to lose this 10 pounds. Well, where is it going wrong? Well, I, I haven't, it's, I haven't lost anything. My plan's not mm. working. So what am I supposed to, sorry, what am I supposed to do about it? I'm supposed to be going to the gym, right? We all know this. I'm supposed to be working out, out more. Where is it going wrong? Well, I haven't been to the gym in three months. Well, where is it really going wrong? And when I looked at my calendar, I saw the whole thing was jammed up. I gave myself no time and space to actually go to the gym. So what's the smallest viable change I can make? It's not go to the gym. It's even smaller than that. It's create a one and a half hour block in my calendar for mm. Thursday that allows me to have the time and space to be able to go to the gym because now I've prioritized it. Now, mm. if we can look on Thursday to say, okay, maybe I didn't go to the gym. Why not now? Well, maybe it's because I didn't have the shoes, yeah. right? So maybe the smallest mm. viable change I can make is to get the shoes. And when we continue to reduce friction over and over and over again, finally, we get to our goals. Not only do we lose the 10 pounds, but maybe we lose the 15. And as the future starts to reveal itself, we can continue to make those one degree shifts along the way.
Let's dive into mm. one more example, one more that might be a little more topical uh, for, for us at home. Yeah. Maybe last week we worked in our office, okay? Mm. And, and, and this week, all of a sudden, we're thrown into this work from home situation. Now, that's a big change. We already talked about this. The two things we hate, change and the way things are. So we're going to find a way to complain about both. But let's just use an example for, for myself and uh, for, uh, for my, my girlfriend, Jillian. She's at home with me. In fact, she's just over there, not very far. She's waving because she's being really <laughs> polite. And uh, we're, we're, we're working at home together now for the first time. Now, this is brand new for us. This is all three and a half hours old. Yeah. For us. And what we found is that through this time, we're going to have to make a series of one degree shifts. She had a call from nine o'clock to 10 o'clock. I went into to the other room. I have this from 11 to 12, and she's now gone into a different place to let me have my time and space. But neither of us could have predicted this happen. But unless we make one degree shifts along the way, maybe when we're going to go for a walk, how we're going to navigate our schedule, how we're going to keep things fresh, we've got weeks of this to come, perhaps. And until we continue to reduce friction, make those smallest viable changes, mm -hmm. we'll never get to where we're going because things will just be too drastic. And I think that whatever it is we're going through, we can apply this framework of this one degree shift to ultimately re reduce friction and create a more intentional future for ourselves. Man, Jason is saying these one degree changes is an amazing, amazing model. And he's actually going to apply immediately after this live stream. So nice. you have a- Awesome. Man, is that even even this this that kind of root cause analysis approach in terms of where where is the pain right and really where mm -hmm. is really the pain and what are you going to do about it? It really yeah. allows people to really dive deep, go into the micro. What can you do at an atomic level now to push mm -hmm. yourself forward? And then how you apply it to your personal life too. I think it's astounding because I think now this model that you're giving isn't only good for organizations, but it's also yeah. good for people to personally conquer their careers. Well, look at this, Tim. I mean, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail before February 1st. And the way mm -hmm. that I, the reason why, at least the reason why I think they fail is because we're so good at setting that goal five and 10 years, maybe two or three months down the road, but mm -hmm. we do not allow for life to happen and mm -hmm. the pivots that we make along the way. Like, look, our, our New Year's resolution, maybe we wanted to go for, uh, maybe we wanted to go to the, let's just use the gym one more time. Maybe we wanted to go to the yeah, gym yeah. Uh, for 25 to 30 days. But we wake up on January 10th with with the flu or with a cough, and we realize, hey, we're not going, we're not going to the gym. So we have to make these one degree shifts, and that's and that's okay. I mean, look, Mike Tyson said you're gonna like this. Mike Tyson said that everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. And I think that, that that's life, though. That's yeah. life. Is yeah. that we get punched in the face left, right, and center. And what do we have to do? Yeah. Well, we have to adapt, we have to react, and we have to make these one-degree shifts. That's it. That's mm -hmm. all we've got. So the way that I see it is this one-degree shift is a permission system for us to live life as it happens because that's mm. all we've got. Mm. That's powerful, man. So Brittany is saying those five questions to ask, she definitely wrote them down. Thank cool. you. She's definitely going to reflect on them and probably share it cool. with her teammates and her husband cool. or her boyfriend or so. Um, nice. And it says they really allow her to dive deep. And we also have one of our community members on Facebook who is saying, Eric, we met at your presentation with, uh, with the League of Innovators at pay work and often invisible part of the workforce. So she recently just started a podcast called Job Sharing and Beyond. And it would be wonderful to have you as a podcast guest to talk more about 
the flexible aspects of work. So you have a fan in her as well, and she's international. So she's really interested in having you on her podcast. Oh. So, you know, Eric, I think what's what's been really powerful is that you are giving people a framework, not only to make one degree shifts at, at work, but also in their personal lives. And we've talked so much about, you know, where, where, how organizations actually need to look deep, right? You don't have to like feel as if you have all the answers. Actually ask your people, ask your leaders and search deep down on what are the one degree shifts we can make to transform culture. I want to ask you, are there some, any, are there anything else that comes to mind for you with the context of where we're at as a society, man? I think the, um, I think the fastest way that we can speed up relationships is to slow down. Mm. Um, so often we try and shoot out as many messages as possible. We try and network and just uh, <laughs> spread ourselves yeah. as thin as we can. Um, you know, we might have 54 text chains going on. We're part of group chats. And I think all of these things are great. But I think yeah. if we want to really build those deep relationships. I think if we really want to build a more intentional future. I think what it comes down to is having those deeper conversations taking a deep breath, especially in times like this, identifying where those friction points are, and just slowing down to the point that we're making intentional, smart decisions. None of these knee-jerk reactions that uh, ultimately won't get us anywhere. You know, a lot of us in the speaking space now are talking about writing new books and building new courses. And I'm not really committing to anything like that right now. And, and the reason for that is this. Mm. Say this virus this pandemic that we have going on right now, say it's it's three months, say it's 13. We have no idea. And that's a perfect example of not being able to predict the future. But what's going to have to happen now for those who are spending all these, this time and resources on books and courses and programs is that when they're finished, they're going to have to commit to making these things go live and be incredibly successful. And I'm not sure that I want to commit the time and the resources to do that just yet. So if we want to build a more intentional future, find out first, again, where that friction is. Find out what we're supposed to be doing about it. You know, maybe mm. I'm supposed to be building a course. Maybe I'm supposed to diversify the revenue streams right now. And I'm yeah. not saying that that's not true, but where that's going wrong is I'm not sure I want to commit to that right now. Yeah. And I'm not sure yeah. that answer is going to come to me at lunch. I'm not sure it's going to come to me at dinner either. But what I'm going to try to do to build the most intentional, most prosperous future for myself Maybe just go for a walk and try and figure it out. Take it one step at a time. Take it one breath at a time. And take it one conversation, call and connection at a time too. I mean, there's 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 often uh, opportunity and expectation to panic in times like these. And I would really push back to say, okay, take that deep breath. Have that conversation with the people that you care about most and uh, work through this one step at a time. I think that's the best way we can build a more intentional future. One step at a time, one degree at a time. Eric, man, you are amazing. Where can where can the Unleashing the Future of Work community connect with you, join you, and be a part of your movement, man? Um, if you want to connect with me, uh, let's go LinkedIn. LinkedIn's the best bet. Um, uh, Eric Termundi. I didn't even put my last name on the chat, but I'm sure it's around here somewhere. Uh, you can check out the website, erictermundi.com. And you know what? For those who are listening... Uh, it's no secret that the speaker right now uh, has a pretty much empty calendar for the next eight weeks with the CDC announcing <laughs> that there are no events over 50 people. And, and you know, I, I say that lightly, but it is very serious for a lot of people. Yeah. That said, if anyone needs a quick chat, maybe wants 10 minutes or 50 minutes that they can, uh, you know, look for a little strategy session or something like that. I'm figuring it out just as much as you are, but uh, I'm happy to help if I can. Love it, man. That's honest. 
Definitely connect with Eric on LinkedIn. I'm a huge fan of his work. And check out his websites and be on the lookout to some of the one degree shifts he shares with his community on LinkedIn. You know, with that said, Eric, thank you so much for joining us on this episode today of the Unleashing the Future of Work series, man. We appreciate you and we hope that we will apply your one degree shifts to change our lives, man. Appreciate you. Awesome. And, and, and before you end, I want to say one quick thing and that, <laughs> Tim, the work that you're doing in the community that you build and for those who are listening, this isn't about uh, Tim and I, though, Tim, you know, I applaud you for the work that you're doing in making this community as strong as it is. Uh, this is a great opportunity to connect with each other as well. Um, this group mm-hmm. isn't just for thought leaders and speakers to come on. Uh, this is about connecting with each other. And uh, if we can do that, then I think we'll all get through this together, led by fearless leader Tim. So thank you for doing the work that you do. And uh, <laughs> um, we're all going to get through this. Agreed, man. Appreciate you. And all right, y'all, all right. until the next time, be safe, be healthy, and make those one-degree shifts. Peace.